and welcome to episode 48 of the Night Gallery podcast. My name's Chris Brown. Today we're going to be talking about the first story from episode 10 of season 2. It was first broadcast almost 40 years ago, November 24th, 1971. And was uh, directed by John Aston and based on a story by uh, August Derleth which was uh, first published in a magazine of fantasy and science fiction in February of 1957. Uh, but this story is uh, adapted into, for, into the teleplay by Halstead Wells. It is uh, a great story, but let's let Rod, first of all, introduce us. Good evening, and welcome to Night Gallery, a potpourri of painting slightly tilt and left of center, as is the case with our first selection. This picturesque background is rural America. Its central figure, a young school teacher. But this is where the commonplace ends. You're about to join a roster of students in a learning experience quite without precedent. The painting is called Dark Boy. And this particular repository is called The Night Gallery. So our story is about, well, it's set in a Montana frontier town. Uh, in the late 19th century. A recently widowed teacher called Judith Tim takes the post at the school. But first off, she's already concerned. She's worried because she's received um, a warning not to go from the teacher before that's already left. And there's other strange things going on. Her first day seems to go fine. There's 16 blonde children in their class and one dark-haired boy. However, the, well, two elderly women who she's talking to tell her that that's impossible, that there's only 16 kids in the school and there certainly isn't a dark boy there. She's a bit confused by that, but and she's also been warned not to go back to the school at night, for that's when the trouble really starts. I was thinking I'd go back tonight. You're going back to the schoolhouse tonight? Yes, to get my records organized. You oughtn't to go at night. Why not? Miss Mason went at night. That's what started it. Letty. Anyway, why should you work so hard? I like to work. It keeps my mind off other things. Why did you have to open your mouth? I opened my mouth because it wouldn't be Christianly not to open my mouth. But not uh, heeding these rather bizarre warnings, she goes into the schoolhouse anyway. And while she's working, she sees the little boy, Joel, the dark-haired child, silent as always. And the boy's looking at him through the window. Finally, through plenty of coaching and, and trying to talk to him, persuade him, he persuades the boy to come inside. He can't get much from him because he won't speak. And he has a scar on his head. But he find the after a bit of digging, the teacher finally works out the mystery of what's going on. At least to a point anyway. She realises that the boy's father is a man called Tom Robb, who's a widower and a bit separate from the rest of the community. And they look very similar. So she goes over and um, 
eventually tries to coax Joel even closer. But Joel won't um, Joel will have any of it. And then finally disappears into the darkness. Trying to find out what's going on. Judith, the teacher, goes to the father, only to discover the truth of what's actually happening. That this boy couldn't possibly be a real child. Or couldn't possibly, even if it is his son, he's certainly not alive because little Joel died two years earlier, falling off a ladder, which gave him the distinctive scar on his head. Oh. Your other boy, Joel, the one with a scar on his forehead. Why are you tormenting me? Why can't people leave us alone? I'm sorry if I said anything. Didn't they tell you? Don't you know my boy Joel fell off your ladder in the schoolhouse and cracked open his head? No. No one told me anything. He died two years ago. But I've seen him. I saw his face outside the window. I talked with him. I saw the scar. It was Joel, wasn't it? Yes. It was. I see him too. But he never speaks. He never comes close. He just haunts me. There's a closeness um, growing between the two widows here, uh, Judith and Tom. And they decide that the best thing to do is to confront the, ch the child and also their own fears. They, uh, they head to the school at, at dark. And the two of them decide that they're the two people that they're able to try and you know breach and solve the problem of this of this haunting. Joel appears at the schoolhouse that night again, and Tom gestures to the child, reminding him of the times that he'd whistle to him, and then the child would whistle back. And they suggest that once again they do that from the porch like they used to as children uh, when when he was still alive. They head back across the countryside in the, in the dark while the young boy always follows them but keeps a slight distance not falling too far back to lose them but not getting too close to them there's always that distance and finally as they reach the home the boy vanishes once again but this time when Rob whistles the familiar call to his son they hear over in the distance by the graveyard where his son is buried, the whistle back. And finally this boy has found rest and peace where he always wanted to be. He's found his home. Right, well, the story itself is very gentle and very lovely. And, I, I'm, you know, it's, it's, it's quite different for a night gallery. A lot of the time, I think a lot of the time when it is at its best, it does surprise because it has a, um, a certain amount of, of heart to it that you wouldn't normally expect rather than just, you know, shocks or thrills or surprise twists. 
as with almost all my calories, um, there were problems. The rather ferocious uh, and frightening director of photography, Kelly Linden, uh, fell ill at this stage with cancer. And uh, it was down to uh, Leonard J. Self, or, or Lenny as his friends call him, to come on board and uh, help shoot on the back lot. Um, one of the great benefits of the show and the reason why this episode looks really good is the work that Lenny did to scout out areas of the back lot, much like with Big Surprise as well, that uh, really look really great and don't necessarily look like a um, like a rough and ready kind of you know, back lot location. It really looks like it could have been, you know, eight, late 1800s uh, Montana, a kind of very dusty, dark desert kind of town, real frontier feel, a real waste, you know, the, the wasteland kind of kind of feel of people trying to create a life for themselves. Um, Jack Laird wanted Elizabeth Hart Hartman to play uh, Judith. Um, the reason for that being that he'd seen her and she'd co her star was on the rise because she got noted for uh, she got an Oscar nom for a patch of blue where she played a blind girl. Um, she was a very delicate woman in truth and I think director John Aston apparently I would say struggled but had to work hard with her to get you know a bold enough performance out of her um, she was a tragic figure and uh, took her own life in 1987 in quite a grisly way when she threw herself out of um, a fifth story window in a home in, in Pittsburgh so her story ended you know quite quite sadly but um, she was a good choice for this role because she does add such a delicate tone to a, to, to a piece um, the other problem that Aston had when he was directing was our man Tom Robb who's played by Michael uh, Basilan Basilan had a um, a scar well not a scar a rash on his face uh, it's just something that erupted right at the last minute and they didn't have time to uh, to heal, you know, for it to heal, or the and they certainly didn't have time to get somebody else on board, so they had to basically shoot him from one side. You see him from a very, you know, very limited angles, um, almost entirely because they're trying to hide this guy's uh, scar. I mean, a lot of the stories is is a romance between these two kind of people who are dealing with with tragedy and uh, uh, you know and remorse. And uh, yeah, I don't think particularly a big scale would probably be a bit of a distraction. Um, it is, you know, for what is a low budget, again, for, for Night Gallery and, and a very short sh shooting script, uh, Aston, uh, God love him, I mean, you know, he, 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 on this on this podcast, I've kind of laughed and gone, oh, it's Gomez Adams, lol, and stuff. But um, he has done great work as a director and he's a real you know he did so well for a night gallery as well everything he touched seemed to work particularly when he's behind the camera um and, you know what he's done here is, is create a very delicate ghost story i mean there isn't any real scares or any real frights or shocks as such and it, there isn't a surprise twist instead at its heart is a story a very human story one about a um people dealing with loss the other thing I'd say is there's n there's no real melodrama to it. It's not it's not like um, you know one of these kind of 
I lost my son kind of overwrought tragedies and now he's back to haunt me and it could be very easy to make it a little bit overwrought and it isn't, it isn't at all. Another one that worked really well is um, much like a midnight uh, visit to the neighborhood blood bank which featured his uh, Jackal, executive producer Jack Laird's daughter or adopted daughter. Uh, this featured his adopted son, uh, a guy called, well, a young man at the time, called Michael, Michael Laird, who played the role uh, very well. I mean, mainly because he has a certain look about him. He looks very haunted. He's very, um, he looks, you know, he looks melancholic in truth. Um, and although he doesn't need to... Uh, talk. He's silent throughout. He conveys a lot in those silences, and I think that works really well. As I was saying before, this is very different departure for Night Gallery. Yes, it's about ghosts and about hauntings, but I think what makes it work so well is how much it can stand out amongst the crowd. Very much like Silent Snow, Secret Snow. It's about a young, you know, about youth, about sorrow, about you know very much internalised emotions and in this case it works really well it is um, a gentle a gentle ghost story very much in the uh, the traditions of of you know 1920s 1930s it's uh, there's no need necessarily to uh, to scare an audience but to use the ghost to, uh, to, you know, investigate emotions. Um, well, the, the irony of all this, of course, is that um, next week we have a very different episode. Um, but before I get to that, I think it's wise to just think that, you know, it's interesting that a story about loss and regret can just so gently and so from like just slightest moments and little looks can actually also be a bit about a love story. You're afraid of him. Maybe that's why he came to me. I'm not afraid of him. So yeah, it seems, you know, it seems odd. I mean, I was talking about like how it stands out amongst other episodes and although there are these kind of ones that are more gentle and more cerebral, um, one of the ones that, to be fair, led you know, would criticise Serling about sometimes that he was, you know, a little bit too, you know, too many ideas. Well, certainly that's what I was Serling thought of it. it, it what, what, it, what it matches with next, what we're going to talk about next week, which is keep in touch or think of something, is the exact opposite. It's very, um, it's very kind of melodramatic, and the and the the dialogue's very uh, uh, like a soap opera almost. Um, but we'll talk about that next week I just think it's an interesting juxtaposition I might talk about that a little bit more next week um, if you want to keep in touch uh, you can do um, you can follow me on Twitter at my private one which is at orange underscore monkey or you can go to our website www.thetwilightzonenetwork.com uh, there is uh, all the latest uh, articles uh, that we put up uh, and then Dimension X as well episodes of that and also um suspense uh tom i think has got together enough time to put a new twilight zone podcast out which should be out in the next few days that'd be really good um 
so yeah I mean if you want to go and see any of that kind of stuff that'd be great you can email me at chris at the twilightzonenetwork.com uh, be great to hear from you particularly considering we've got Pikmin's model coming up in, in a couple of weeks time which is a fantastic uh, one of the best night gallery stories it's up there with you know the caterpillar and uh, Tim Riley's bar as well as just being real standout moments of the series okay so we're back in business again I was off last week uh, down in London doing various stuff but um, if yeah but you can uh, but I'm, I'm I'm back normal now I don't think there'll be any interruptions at least until you know uh, we'll get through Christmas and then we'll, we'll see how we get on um, so until next week take care I'll speak to you soon bye <laughs>